Well, hello there. I'm Karen Sander. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly, a program for the over 50s, those uniquely wonderful baby boomers. My aim is to educate, motivate and inspire you to embrace the exciting journey of life for decades to come. So stay tuned to meet a variety of guests who will share their stories and passions to help us gain insight into the ways to live a happier, healthier life. Welcome back, everyone. I can't believe where the weeks go. Another week's just flown by and we're back in the studio and you're with Karen Sander from Aging Fearlessly. And today my guest is Kelly Van Nelson. And she is a best-selling author of Graffiti Lane, a contemporary poetry collection. Her short stories, non-fiction articles and poems have featured in numerous Australian and international publications. In the spare time that she doesn't have, you can find her hanging out on an open mic performing poetry about social issues. Now, I've only recently, like a few minutes ago, (laughs) had the fortune to meet Kelly and I've been doing a lot of reading about her and I know you're going to absolutely love what she has to say. So welcome, Kelly. Good morning, Karen, and thank you for having me. You're from Newcastle, I believe. I am, but not the New South Wales Newcastle, the uh, northeast of England, Newcastle upon Tyne. So I'm a Geordie. You're a Geordie. I've heard of Geordies. (laughs) Yeah. But it's really wonderful that you're here. I I want the listeners to find out a little more shortly about how you came to be in Australia. You've had a very colourful life, living and working in so many different countries. Gosh, I was like, you're in South Africa, you're in Scotland, you're in the UK, you're here. Can you share a little bit about your beginnings and what brought you here to Australia? Yeah, sure. So I lived in Newcastle for all of my childhood and it was a little bit of a concrete jungle. So council estate, I had a single mom family and a father who passed away in his 40s. So it was pretty rough there, a little bit of a tough Yeah, that would be. <laughs> it definitely was. And I ended up always having a desire to just leave there and explore the world. And I knew I just wanted to see more than what was there. So I left school quite young, actually. I left school at 16 and ended up putting myself through night school through computer studies at the time and I uh, took a one-way ticket to London at the age of 18 and never really looked back and I got into the tech industry in the staffing industry and I've pretty much been in full-time employment in the staffing technology uh, workforce management industry ever since I won't tell you how old I am but it's a good couple of decades um, that I've been in that industry which is fantastic well the Um, listeners know how old I am Kelly but um, (laughs) and and most people do divulge their age on this program because it is about Uh, aging fearlessly but no you (laughs) don't have to I'm mid 40s (laughs) mid 40s so yeah more than a couple of decades in the industry from being 18 actually so always in that space and yeah that took me around the world actually So um, the technology industry is very sought after, evolving, changing, always disrupting the world. And I was very fortunate to land in in that business by, I guess, kind of by accident. I started out as a secretary in a technology staffing company and just worked my way up and ended up moving around the world with, uh, with the industry. 
I did want to go to university, but at the time just couldn't afford to. We were a low-income family, and I just didn't have the funds to be able to continue with education. But I just had a philosophy of working hard and watching and observing and learning, you know, whatever I could and and sort of grasping any opportunity that was there to um, evolve and to sort of expand uh, my own skill set. And um, I've just always had this hardworking ethos and I think that's paid off and allowed me to progress in an industry despite not having the, um, the higher education Mm. But yeah, it is an interesting one. So just goes to show if you're really passionate about wanting to do something, Mm. you're the only person standing in your way, aren't you? A hundred percent. Yeah, that's what I I say as well. It's only you can spread your wings and fly. That's my favorite saying in the whole world. Um, Yeah, and I fully believe that. So it's like if it is to be, it's up to me. A hundred percent. Yeah, you can achieve great things if you self-invest and... Uh, have passion and uh, work hard and just chase your dreams and I don't think uh, roadblocks necessarily need to be there you can find your ways to overcome pretty much anything if you're determined and resilient and have the willpower. Uh, Resilience and determination are something we discuss on this program Mm. a lot Mm. and I find more and more people who are finding their resilience especially as they age. Yes. I have another little saying I, I love. I can, I will, watch me. Oh, nice. Love it, love it. Yeah, you know, it's like someone sure. said, <laughs> <laughs> some people say, well, you can't do that. Oh, yeah. And you just stick at it. Yep. And yep, lots of failures along the way. Exactly. But you just stick at it. Mm. And And I actually use that little motto to keep me motivated. Like when I wrote my book, Tell People, mm. and if If you tell someone, you're sort of bound to have to do it. Stick by your word. Yeah, that's it. Personal goals. (laughs) Yeah. Pop them on your coffee mug. (laughs) So when did you realise that you loved writing and wanted to be a writer? Yeah, so when I was a child, it was, uh, as I say, it was a little bit rough at home. And then I would go to school and it was even tougher, actually, in my high school years. I was bullied in school, not physically, but verbally bullied for a long period of time. So I had a rough home life, I had a rough school life as a teenager and I would sort of just find different ways to escape that whole pressure by reading mm-hmm. and I would read all hours. Every time I had a spare moment I would be, you know, head in a book and that would be till the early hours of the morning. I would read under a duvet with a torch and I was a massive Enid Blyson fan and would read everything that she has ever written. I've read about 20 times. My daughter reads her now and um, I just found it a way to escape reality, uh, to lose myself in these books. And I think from um, sort of teenage years, I always wanted to be a writer. I knew the beauty of books and that escape it could bring a person through words on a page. And my high school, uh, I've got a good couple of high school friends from from those days. And uh, they often say to me, you still said when you were a teenager, you were going to be a writer. And I can't remember saying it, but I must have said it. And it's just always been in there. The, 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 the sort of power of the word in giving someone an outlet. It's interesting watching you as you're talking about writing because you really light up. Mm. You know, when you, you can see when someone's so passionate about something, it shows in their face. Yeah, I love it. It's like breathing. It's like for me, a lot of people ask, where do you find the time and how do you do it and things? But it's it's like a stress buster or a relaxation process and I I just feel like I have to be scribbling something somewhere or typing some little poem on my phone or 
I truly love it. I, I, I don't think about it. It just when I have spare moments, I'd, I'd, I'd pop a pen or <laughs> yeah, type something up. Yeah, the old Anna Blyton books and, you know, the old hardcover books when we were at school. And, you know, my mum was an Anne of Green Gables. Yeah. Uh, and every time the series comes on TV, I think, you know, how much my mum loved reading. Mm. or well, still does love reading. She's 91 and still reads all the time and talks about books. But, yeah. Anne of Green Gables was one of her favourites. Yeah, beautiful. And I'm with you with the hardcovers. I cannot get used to a Kindle, even though all of my life I've worked in technology, I can't adopt to Kindle reading. (laughs) Well, I was just talking to you before we started today about I still have to print most of the things. I'm still having a, a really tough time of sitting down and reading on a laptop or, you know, my iPad. I, I just, I do struggle with that. Mm, yeah. You've chosen some songs for me today. The first one, Don't Stop Believing. Yes. So this song I loved as a child. My uh, mum always used to play rock music in the house. And uh, I just always loved this particular song. It was sort of a song for a dreamer and somebody who uh, doesn't feel anything can stand in their way. And actually, it's my daughter's favourite song, so I had to pick it. She'll be absolutely delighted if you play this on air. And it's just got, yeah, I mean, don't stop believing. It's got just such a beautiful punchline. You and, can't you can't help but love it. And your daughter is how old? She's only 13. So she's in, uh, yeah, she's enjoying that, uh, that era of rock music. And my son loves that era of rock music as well. So I think I have a little bit of influence there. <laughs> <laughs> Radio Northern Beaches 88.7 and 90.3. 
your community radio station. I'm in the studio today with Kelly Van Nelson, best-selling author of Graffiti Lane, a contemporary poetry collection, and we've just been talking about her early beginnings, her love of Enid Blyton and writing, and why she was uh, interested in reading so much and had a lot to do with bullying. Kelly, Graffiti Lane is a collection of poetry and touches on several important topics, including diversity, bullying, domestic violence and mental health. What inspired you to write this collection of poetry? Um, probably it's an, it's an interesting story. So I was originally writing novels and short stories and to break up the editing process of writing something a little bit longer. And I know you've written a book, so it's very exhausting editing things over and over. <laughs> I would um, find myself taking a break and writing a little poem just for the sort of relief of taking the eyes off a novel. And um, I, Listen, I haven't written a novel. <laughs> I, I don't think I have intentions of writing a novel. Yeah, but, yeah, but the editing process, isn't it? It's an That's interesting horrid. beast, so it is horrid, and you, can, you just can't spot the elephants in the, on the page after a while. So, yeah, poetry was a way of uh, escaping that. And I was sort of typing them out, and um, I wasn't really thinking about a topic or about getting them published or anything. And um, I had a short story put into an anthology by a publisher in WA Serenity Press. And I met with the publisher and was chatting to her about this editing process and poems. And she asked to have a look at them. So I went home and I tried to pull them into a collection. And I had absolutely hundreds of them, hundreds and hundreds of these poems that I had been writing for years in you know, different files on my laptop and I had never even realised how many I actually had. And I started to put them into a collection, put them into some sense of order, and there was a huge theme came through um, from the poems, which was around the bullying. And I noticed it was uh, really um, a mix of childhood bullying, um, bullying in the corporate world, which, of course, I've worked in for many years in different countries and seen you know, the, uh, the challenges in corporate bullying and harassment, and uh, also some more modern poems mixing the technology industry that I had been working in and cyberbullying and the growing problem, especially in um, the teen, um, you know, with teenagers around cyberbullying. So I had all of these different poems. I titled the collection actually at the time Big Bullies and submitted them and the publisher, of course, picked them up and the, the collection was formed from there. But we brainstormed the title with another author, friend of mine, lady by the name of Tess Woods, who uh, is a good friend and mentor of mine. And several of the poems were about uh, graffiti artists, um, or more street artists, actually, as opposed to vandalists, yeah. <laughs> vandalism. Um, but street artists who were also getting social messages around bullying and around problematic topics out through the art form of um, street art. So we ended up landing on the Graffiti Lane title and the collection was, was formed. But the topics, I guess the social issue topics, uh, yeah, I suppose it, it stems from childhood, like most writing, and um, the bullying experience was, you know, was, was particularly tough at the time. And it's terribly sad to see the problem continue you know, through cyberbullying, and it takes a different form sometimes. But it, it can have devastating effects on people who can't find a way to rise above you know, those setbacks. And I just love trying to influence 
Um, firstly, people in um, high school. So I, I spent yeah. a lot of time talking to kids in high schools around being respectful to each other and kind and the effect it can have if you're excluding individuals in the, you know, in the playground and things. And I just found using poetry a different way of expressing that conversation and uh, the teen, the, the sort of YA market and teen market and the kids really seem to um, enjoy it. It seems to be quite contemporary and cool and a different way of talking to children um, yeah. around the topic. And it's definitely evolved from there. Um, yeah. And bullying is something you find everywhere. I know in the corporate world, it's awful when you're working for someone who is a bully mm. and quite often they don't realise that they're bullying yeah, exactly right. I think uh, they generally don't realise that or the impact they're having on the individual. But it is often about it can be about power. It can be about you know trying to look better in your own role or something like that. So it can be many different reasons. It's quite a complex topic, but uh, it doesn't um, move away from the fact that it can be there in the workplace. And people, you know, every person is different as well. So people might experience one conversation a different way from somebody else experiencing that conversation or style of management. It, it is there. It is a it is a problem in all walks of life, in all industry, across all ages. And it's definitely a topic that I am passionate about trying to make a difference in and find different anti-bullying strategies that work for different demographics and yeah, I know it's very welcomed um, in high schools and mm-hmm. primary schools. But uh, graffiti can be just vandalism. You yeah. you talked about that. Uh, or to many, it's a form of self-expression. And you can find it just about everywhere today. Yes. And the cover, which I'm holding here, and it's a, an awesome cover. The cover of Graffiti Lane features Hosier Lane in Melbourne. And some of your poems feature well-known graffiti artists. What drew you to this sort of urban scene? Yeah, I I mean, I am from a concrete jungle, so there was very little grass and a lot of walls in, in the northeast Newcastle? in Newcastle, yes. Um, so I... When I am in sort of urban areas or in the city, I just love looking around and finding the extraordinary in sort of ordinary things, whether it's like a fluorescent light and the beauty in that or whether it's a brick wall. And I take photographs of, you know, a lot of black and white photographs of just different things in the urban world. And, of course, um, through the job that I do, I travel a fair bit to Melbourne and go for a stroll around the lanes and I just love looking at the artwork that is around Melbourne in particular but it's it is everywhere now it's you know there's uh, I see it across Sydney and you know across Australia and some of it is absolutely beautiful I I am absolutely not a fan of vandalism or an advocate of vandalism not that at all and people you know um inappropriately marking other people's property but the street art um, much of it's commissioned and much of it is really beautiful and a lot of it has this um, hidden message in the art form itself whether it be a political message or a social message or it's just a way that somebody is expressing what they actually want to say and speak out about which I can completely resonate with some of it's so talented um in the you know in the in the pictures that you see on um you know on some of the walls it's just extraordinary um, so yeah, I, I was taking a lot of photographs. It took 900 photographs to get the cover. I was going to say, did, did you take? I this did, photo? yeah, and it took about six hours on the photo shoot to get that particular shot. And I had a very talented uh, book cover designer work on it, and um, he went through all of those photographs to select this one. And we loved the lighting, we loved the grittiness and the blunt. 
sort of um, writing style in the book matches perfectly with this cover. And it does incorporate a lot of the poems around graffiti artists. This, my favourite is uh, um, somebody called Banksy, who is a UK graffiti artist, and his um, work always has a social message. Um, he's very famous for uh, a picture that was on uh, one of the bridges in London with a girl in balloon, red balloons floating away, and that symbolises hope now and you know, a way to free yourself from oppression. And he's graffitied along the walls of the West Bank in Palestine, etc. And he's just got such a vocal way of saying something with just a picture and zero words. I find it amazing and fascinating. I've just opened one of the pages and it's like balloons rise right. up. Yes. Oh my goodness, you just <laughs> talked about balloons floating away. Mm. I'm going to look at graffiti very differently yeah. after speaking to you. Kelly, would you like to read us one of your poems? I can. I've got a few different ones. So I, I could do a graffiti one, but I've, um, I might go with something that's uh, technology, maybe mixed with a little bit of bullying and the sort of um, beginnings of a cyberbullying situation. Oh, yeah, go for with sure. Something there, so it's a little bit contemporary and topical. Um, this one is called Swipe. Aching thumb, fingers numb from swiping smooth screen, streaking, smart glass, tweeting, Instagram bleating. Working faster and faster, searching profiles in a murky pond, desperate to extend the network and form a bond. Reaching out to explore virtual possibilities. Poking. Some think I'm joking. I'm just some sad stranger trying to gather likes, filling the blip of lack of real friendship. Even the bullying monkeys on my back blocked me a long time ago. I log on and dive in, but there are no messages to make me grin. I cast my rod across the ocean, spanning six degrees of separation, attempting to catch a fish on the hook, but finding nothing but a one-dimensional face in an online book. That's beautiful. <laughs> it, it really conjures a great image. I think that's the beauty of poetry. You can say so much in such few words. So I love playing with uh, poems and just trying to get a little subtle message or sometimes a big message in a quirky blunt, raw, unusual way. So I, I tend to not um, write particularly literary academic poetry. I write just straight from the heart. I say it how it is. I don't use a thesaurus or anything. Yeah, yeah. I just um, call it as it is and try and do it in a way that um, hits home quite quickly. It's difficult to break into the poetry market, yeah? What do you think it is about your book that made it become a bestseller? Um, I think, um, I mean, I like to break the rules. That's the first thing. So not maybe not break the rules. I just bend them. dance around and bend yeah. them a little bit. Yes. Or interpret them my way. Yeah. Good. <laughs> so yeah. Very individual. Absolutely individual. And definitely, I think it's it sort of got a different free flow style. It doesn't follow a lot of set poetry rules around stanza and verse and um, typical traditional rhyming formats. Um, a couple of them do. Sometimes I drop in something that's got a, a very set style and, and play with that. But I do try and avoid flowery uh, words and go straight for the, the punchline. And I think it's made it really accessible to a wider market. So when it was originally published, um, the Graffiti Lane book, it was really thinking about the adult audience. Somehow it spanned uh, young, young teenagers. It's, it's getting into the YA market. It's getting right across all ages of adulthood and I think it is because it's just so raw and blunt and a little bit different and 
I'm hoping it can make poetry cool again and sort of resurrect poetry and make it uh, have a little bit of a comeback. And, yeah. yeah, it's been selling nicely. So I just think it's a little bit different. The cover's different. The the content's a bit different from traditional poetry styles. And I think you know that whole graffiti thing mm. helps embrace those younger generations. Yes. Yeah. Find yeah, it's a different way to resonate. I guess, with that uh, age group and uh, catch their eye and make it interesting, make it cool. And, yeah, it definitely stems conversation, whether it be the cover or whether it be the content. It definitely stems a different kind of conversation. I've found even when I'm doing book launches, I'm getting a lot of teenagers in the audience now. Oh, that's um, really fabulous. Events. Yeah, which you would never think at a poetry book event you would you would get, you know, that type of audience in. And I'm definitely finding that. And I'm finding some are reaching out either in the moment or afterwards via social media or connecting in around um, experience they've had in being bullied or, you know, not being able to find ways to deal with their own particular situations and, you know, suffering anxiety or the mental health problems creeping in. So I feel like it's making a difference there and getting, you know, a little bit of a ripple effect. Yeah. Which is just awesome. And because some of the younger generation they're into rapping, which sits a little <laughs> yeah. a bit alongside it. Yes, for sure. So this is an unusual situation I've found myself in because when you do... You've uh, taken speak, up rapping? I've, not, I've definitely not <laughs> taken up rapping, but I've taken up poetry slam, which is kind oh, of a little step of... <laughs> <laughs> a little step in the same direction. It's it's taking poetry in the spoken word to um, a more fast-paced way to you know to express your poems on a mic in an open forum in an audience. Sometimes improv and doing it in a way that resonates with the audience. And it's typically poetry slam is on is on the tougher topics that um, are more taboo. And I love that. I love just challenging the thinking of an audience or a reader or, or my own self about a topic where you think, oh, I never thought about it that way. You know, like graffiti. You know, first yeah. thought is vandalism. You know, my first thought is not always. <laughs> I'll have to come along to one of your poetry yes. slams. I think you did one out at Bankstown, yeah? I did do Bankstown and I was super nervous. So this is a very, very new space for me. And Bankstown is the largest in Australia. So I don't know, there was about 150 people there. They film you and they score you. Oh, really? People in the audience. So, of course, that's nerve-wracking. You get scored out of 10 and they hold up place cards with, you know, your scoring rating on there. So I got a nice couple of 8.5s out of 10. And I, was, I was thrilled with that. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, definitely nerve-wracking. But it's an amazing multicultural environment, all ages, all dem- demographics, beautifully diverse and I absolutely loved it. It was really an amazing environment out there and some amazing poets, way better than me on the open mic. That was a bit uh, of a slam dunk for you. <laughs> I had to, sorry. Yes, but I haven't attempted it to music with rapping. Um, I have tried something else with it, though, which um, my teenage son makes short movies and he started making little little films of the poems and he's YouTubing them. And again, that's reaching a different audience through... Uh, taking poetry into this visual form and uh, finding ways of expressing a poem through these little films, like one-minute films, two-minute films. He's been attending Aftars and he's super talented behind the camera. And I had never even thought of taking a poem onto a visual screen. And uh, he's done that and that's getting some different interest as well. It's quite unusual. Mm. The world's changing fast sure. with, the, with the use of cameras and yep. smartphones and you can just, and YouTube, very, yep. very, 
you know, like Kryptonite. Yes, it is. Yes. <laughs> My other favourite song. Yeah, Sorry, no. I had to. Yes. I don't know what's wrong with me today, Kelly. Yeah. Do you know, Kryptonite is, um, so this is a song that is always playing in our house. My husband used to play it. He loves the band Three Doors Down. And I had never really even heard of this band until he started playing this song over and over. And then again, my children started to love this song. My daughter asks for it to be played in the car on her way to netball. It gives her a boost and gives her the sort of motivation of, you know, uh, um, the Superman sort of line in the song. And and my son plays it on the electric guitar. So this is my family anthem. We all love it. And uh, it's on our bucket list to do a family concert with Three Doors Down in the US at some point. But uh, right now I'm enjoying Sydney, but one day we will get there. We love this song. your community radio station. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly with Karen. Please go to Facebook and like the page Aging Fearlessly. My guest today is Kelly Van Nelson, a poet and an author, and we're having a wonderful chat, a, a lot about social issues uh, about bullying, about her poetry and, you know, how she's managed to capture so many different social issues within her poems. But Kelly, I wanted to talk about rejection and resilience. Authors face so many 
um, rejections just to get their work published. How do you find that? Yes, definitely um, something I would say all authors have experienced. So I started out years ago writing, uh, I tried to write romance and I tried to write crime and it was a genre that was, you know, very sought after. But I, and I never got anywhere actually. I had so many rejection slips, never got anything published when I was writing in that particular genre. And I almost gave up actually. And then I changed my strategy, not intentionally, it just sort of happened where I decided to not write that stuff at all. And I decided just to write about what I was passionate about. Mm -hmm. Forget about the market, forget about the audience just write about what I really wanted to say and speak out about. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, it takes a different form when it becomes something you're passionate about and you're not trying. Exactly, not trying to get it sold. Yeah, if you write to get, um, you know, a publisher and an audience and picked up and become a bestseller overnight, I I don't know if that's necessarily the best way that it's going to work for you. But if you write from the heart on something that's deeply meaningful for you and you absolutely have to put pen to paper no matter what, it comes out in a different way. And that's what I started doing. And I, um, I back to the technology, I have a spreadsheet with every submission <laughs> I have ever made and to where and when and whether it is a yes, whether it is a non-rejection or whether it's a zero sort of fat blank, no response at all. And I uh, trend it. So I've seen the shift in, you know, my percentage of rejections when I was writing genre work that wasn't coming from the heart to what I'm writing about now, which is social justice issues, um, not just bullying, but domestic violence, mental health and other things that I I just feel I want to say something about or that, you know, somebody needs to speak out and, and, and have a voice about. And now my rejections are much less and it's just uh, it's just amazing to see. So the way that I deal with the rejections, I definitely find uh, um, that I give myself 24 hours to stew on it, to, un- to unpick, <laughs> to unpick mm, what, what, what could I do better? Was there anything or is it just it didn't fit the profile at the time? I give myself a little bit of a minute to wallow in my own self-pity. And then I get up the next day and I keep writing because it's the dream and I don't ever want to give up. And... I just prefer to be a glass half full kind of person. And I think if you keep trying and you learn from it and you get better and you listen to the feedback and you take advice from people in the industry and on those rejection slips, if there's little glimmers of, you know, input as to why it's a reject, then you evolve as a writer. And I feel like I'm a better writer from embracing the rejections, seeing them as opportunities to write better, to write something different and... Yeah, 24 hours maximum, I'll, I'll have a little cry about it and some chocolate and then maybe a little glass of wine and then I'll write something else. It's like getting back on the horse it when is. you've had a fall because yes. if you don't get back on, that's the end. Exactly. And that's how you build resilience mm. and grit. Exactly. And, and you need, as a writer, to have grit. You, if you don't have grit, you've got to, you know, you're not going to get there, are you? Yeah, steely will and an absolute ability to to keep going in the face of adversity. Yeah. There are so many writers that give up and they're, you know, not only um, do they not get published, but they might start a book and not finish it or, you know, never really uh, get what they want to say down on a bit of paper. You've got to put the pen to paper if you want to write. We're going to talk about that before we end today. (laughs) So uh, another one of your um, favourite topics for writing is about um, domestic violence. And we're not going to talk about that. You're going to read us a poem. I will read you a poem. So this is a little one that actually 
I performed in um, Avalon, oh. in the bookstore oh. in Avalon, which is Bucaccino. Yes, and that was the very first time I actually uh, went ahead with a spoken word and read a, po- a, a poem out in front of public, you know, public ears. And I absolutely love that bookstore. And uh, this was the poem that I first um, I first did. Not on the open mic. They don't have a mic in there. It's very intimate and beautiful, but that I vocalised. And it's called Eggshells. Toss between sheets, alone in the night, evading sleep, dreading dawn breaking. You arrive home for breakfast, lipstick visible on collar. I recall from the sickly scent of foreign perfume clinging to your skin. I turn my head from your guilty kiss. Chapped lips skim one cheek. Your wandering palm slaps the other. I make you bacon and eggs. I'm sick of over-easy. Stomach churns at your sunny side up, yolk trickling down your face as tears stream down mine. I wash the dishes. Suds keep my hands soft. Yours are hard enough for us both. I pull the plug and watch the dirty water slip, slip, away. Scrub the work surfaces. Eggshells fall to the floor. Sweep them away. No longer want to walk on them. You run the shower upstairs and I turn on the kitchen tap, smirking as you scream. I'm in hot water as you shiver in cold. My bags are packed, my money stashed. Plan was to flee last night, but I'm still here. Brain scrambled like tomorrow's eggs. Oh, that's raw. A little raw, yes. <laughs> Walking on eggshells. Yes, yeah. I don't even know where I came up with the idea of eggs. I uh, I just like to look for, like I, I think I said earlier, I like to look for the extraordinary in, in ordinary items, things, things I see, and the egg. Can I yes. just, I've got all emotional. Mm, that's the beauty of poetry. Oh, sorry, yeah. my eyes have welled up. Mm. Just, I, and I've got this feeling of goosebumps. Mm. Yeah, it's a different way, isn't it, of expressing oh. something. Like, I, I could just chat about somebody, you know, in an abusive relationship and not being able to get out of it. But I think poetry finds a different way to say something in a, in a, in a way that can hit home. And how often has someone packed their bags mm. to leave and stayed? Yes, yeah. And again, I, um, I, I do like to talk about this topic. And if it helps one person to you know, feel like they're not alone and that it's, it, this can happen to anyone, you know, and um, yeah, if the spoken word or the written word can help them, then that's a good thing. And it's yeah. not always physical violence. Mm. It's the emotional yes. and the mental yeah, you know, sure. the verbal violence yep. that people suffer from. Mm. And I think sometimes that's even hard, harder to understand. Sometimes the, the physical violence is so visible, yeah. but the, the emotional and the verbal violence yeah. is, is really hard to pick up. Exactly, yeah, and it's it isn't something that people can say, and it's much like people are verbally bullied. You know, you kind of um, you can't see it, you can't feel it. There's no signs of it, but internally, for the person um, that is experiencing the experiencing the situation, it can hurt just as much, if not more, than than a physical, you know, physical abuse. So. Yeah, it's a tricky topic. I, I did say I like to talk about controversial, taboo sort of subjects that are uncomfortable. But um, I feel 
like it's making a difference, and I hope it's making a difference in challenging the thinking. Well, if a poem moves me like that, then I'm sure it's moving a lot of other people. Mm, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. You're a very busy, busy woman. Mm. You juggle career, you have a family, and you write, and you go to schools, and you talk, and you do slams. How do you manage to stay on track? Is it a spreadsheet? Uh, yeah, it should, be, it should be a spreadsheet. You know, I oh yeah, this is this is a topic that is uh, a fun one. So I uh, am managing director of a Fortune 500 company, so a massive oh, you're only global the, firm. Are you, are you the, only the managing? I director? am the managing director. So it's I am on a flight pretty much every week to somewhere or to a meeting or you know to see the team around the country. So the day job is really busy. And uh, I absolutely love it. Uh, it's working in the industry, which is the staffing industry, putting people into work every day. The organisation I, I work for, we, we place um, about 750,000 people in work per day around the world. So I, I love it as well. I read it feels that. meaningful. Yes. I've read a lot about you. I've been stalking you. I'm a stalker. Wonderful, yeah. I'm an interview stalker. Oh, I can definitely write a poem about stalking. Oh. So. <laughs> I'd love that one for next time. <laughs> yeah, if you see one pop out, it will be inspired by yeah the radio interview from the presenter who was stalking. <laughs> yeah, so I have a very busy day job, and then I have the writing world that I tend to do typically late at night or in these sort of windows of uh, time that I have sitting in a car, or you know I can I can type up a little poem standing in the supermarket queue in my phone and and all of those things. So I, I grab the grab the windows. And I have two kids. I have a family, uh, two teenagers who uh, love to use me as their Uber taxi driver to oh. take them to sports do events. They, do they pay? They definitely don't pay yet, but, you know, I am biding my time till they come of age and <laughs> can pay their way. Um, no, but they're beautiful, beautiful, really good kids who are very supportive of my writing and work. And I have a husband who works in a fly-in, fly-out job in the oil and gas industry. So I tend, when people ask me uh, what I do, I tend to say I'm a juggler because that's the only way to describe these many different balls that I try and throw up in the air and constantly drop. I wrote something yesterday <laughs> about, oh, I think it was an email to someone and I said, all the balls are in the air. Oh. Um, have yes. you heard of this word that I'm about to say? Sleep. Uh, yes, I've heard of it, but it, it evades me quite a bit. So I have the benefit of being an insomniac for my entire life. I think it's because I read in a blight until, you know, till the sun came up as a child. And I, I tend to uh, go on very little sleep, which I'm sure will catch up with me one day. But for now, it gives me nice long days and into the evening. And I probably sleep maybe five hours a night, which is low. Mm. I know there are people <laughs> in the world who can survive on five hours mm. um, yes. and do very well on five mm. hours. I'm not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm always envious of people who really enjoy their sleep. Um, yeah, I just I, I struggle to fall asleep. Not, um, I don't like getting up. I like my coffee. I know we shared a coffee earlier in, in your beautiful studio here, which I need my coffee in the morning. I struggle to get up, but, uh, but I... Um, I don't fall asleep easily. My my brain is working at a thousand miles an hour. I don't fall asleep easily as well. Mm. And some nights, like two nights ago, I think I laid there for five hours. No, it wasn't laying there. It was called tossing and turning. Mm. And I think at that point you should really get up, get up and give up. Yep. 
yes, yeah, get up and write a little poem by sunrise. That's the that's the secret. <laughs> but then I always worry because I want to get up at six o'clock and I love to swim. Mm. And so if I haven't had enough sleep, I can't get up to go and swim. Mm. And it does sort of impact my following day in that respect. Um, mm. But I'm trying to figure out how I can manage this because I am a bit of a night owl. Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? I don't know if there's good relaxation techniques or, or whatever, but I just enjoy the moment even if it's in the middle of the night and I, I hope I can do that for another, you know, um, another nice long window. Um, but, yeah, so the... So the um, the different worlds, I always kind of found myself operating in, um, in like I had three parallel universes. What? You know, right. <laughs> I, had, I had one world as a family, as a mum. Yeah. And I had one world that was as a writer and an author. And I had another world where I was this corporate, you know, businesswoman. And I was um, operating them in silos to one another. And I actually got some business coaching through work around, you know, how to manage that better and some advice from my publisher as well lady by the name of Karen McDermott and they coached me on blending the worlds and that you, you can only find your authentic self if you embrace all of the different aspects of your life and don't try and compartmentalize them so I started doing that this year as it became busier with the book after the book went to number one it actually went crazy um, with sort of everything that happened after that and I took their advice and I started to blend the worlds. I took my daughter into work, into the Sydney office. I started speaking at schools around careers and what I do in the day job and also what I do as a writer. I started speaking in the workplace around childhood bullying, corporate bullying, about my passion topics in the workplace. And it was like a weight off the shoulders that now I've, uh, it's out in the public domain that I write, you know, and work now knows that and... They've been so supportive and I've just merged the worlds and it's so much easier to manage my time now through through doing that. It feels a lot more satisfying and like my true self is now this one person, not three separate people. And I understand how hard that is because mm. I'm working in silos. Yes, yeah, it can be busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're, you're a just... super busy lady too and it's it, it can be busy. It is a, a little bit crazy. Yes. What is the best and worst aspect of writing oh the best aspect would be touching a reader either in a poetry reading uh, emotionally or somebody getting in touch who's written the book and something has really resonated with them in one of the poems and if just one person gets something out of you know the written word or the spoken word that makes a difference to their life then I feel like my work as a creative artist is done. I think that's why I'm putting myself in uncomfortable situations. It's sort of a Bankstown poetry slam because maybe one person in there really resonates with the topic. And I feel like I can raise awareness as well about some of the topics, whether it be domestic violence or, or bullying or cyberbullying. I can raise awareness to either different demographics or different um, audiences and get this nice ripple effect. And I don't know, I feel like poetry can definitely make a difference it's you know it's an idea that I had in a small way and it's now getting this you know this real good traction so yeah definitely that would be the best thing making a difference to one individual you know through something I've written or said on um, you know on the open mic the worst um, I think there's three people in my marriage me my husband and my laptop oh. which is kind of bad um, my hands ache a lot which you know that's probably from typing at work all day long and then typing at night. You know, the writing yeah, wherever, or, on an aeroplane yes. 
all the time. So that's a horrible, a horrible side effect of of being a writer. So I tend to try and flex my hands a lot, and I will pay my daughter anything. I will give her anything to just massage my oh. hands. She's very good at it, and it's send you her know, over to my oh, place. Oh, I will. I'll send her your shoulders. Way. <laughs> Yeah, shoulders, feet, hands, but my hands, I find... Really struggle. I struggle with them, yeah. So the other downside is a funny little one, a little anecdote. So I try to combat the sore hands with trying software in the technology world that can dictate what you Ah. say onto your screen. And I got this software, installed it on my machine, and I started dictating poems into, you know, into the mic. And it would pop out with it on the written screen, and it could not understand the Geordie accent. Oh, so it didn't work at all. I got less than about a thirty percent um, hit rate, so it just came out with this gobbledygook and failed miserably. And I didn't have the patience to coach the software on Geordie. You have recently been selected as a finalist for the Oz Mumpreneur Award for Big Ideas Changing the World. Tell me about that. Yeah, so the Oz Mumpreneur Awards celebrate women in business and it's also women who are mums and it's a wonderful acknowledgement for all of the working women out there juggling um, different aspects of their life and trying to also make a difference. So the category that I'm a finalist for, it's for making an impact with the written and spoken word on social justice areas and um, particularly around the anti-bullying topic. I'm super thrilled about it. I do have two teenage kids in the house and they have supported my writing career and, you know, it's really an accolade to them as well who've helped me to, you know, enjoy a career and enjoy my home life in, um, in a way that's meaningful for all of us. I just think it's a wonderful accolade for working women who are managing to embrace all of the different aspects of life And I feel um, honoured and privileged that somebody somewhere thinks my little poems are making a difference. When is the award being judged? It's being judged in September in Melbourne. We will see where it lands. But, yeah, I'm super thrilled to to make the finals and we will see what happens with that. congratulations on that and I'm sure you'll do very well. Thank you. (laughs) We're, We're really running out of time. So there's just a question I want to ask here. Many people say, I'm going to write a book. How many times have you heard that? Oh, many, many, many times. But I know statistics that uh, very few ever take it up. And of those who do take it up, it's very hard for them to keep going. What advice have you got for them? I think firstly, you have to think about how badly you want it. So Ah. I I think about my favourite phrase again, only you can spread your wings and fly. So if you want to fly and you really want to get a book out there, you have to put pen to paper and you have to create space to write. And I think one of the easiest ways to, you know, to, um, to find the time is to write about something you love, you know, and something you're passionate about. And you have to sit your bum down in, in the seat and you have to write. And I, I just find um, as well, if you can take the time to get a first draft written, then you've got it. You've got something written down. You can go back and you can edit it in bite-sized chunks. But if you don't get a first draft out, you've had it, you know, so that's the most important thing. Even if you sit down, smash it out and it's not great, you've still got a draft and then you can work with it. But I think write about something you're passionate about. Believe in yourself. If you want it badly enough, you will you will find the time. If you don't, you will find all the reasons why you can't find the time. 
I took part in a 30,000-word, 30-day challenge. Yes. And you had to write a 1,000 words a day. And if you didn't, you had to do 2,000 the next day and so mm. on. And that worked for me. But I Kelly, think- before we leave, would you like to read us another poem? This is just open the book and read. Sure. So I've opened on a page and it is a controversial one. So we'll see how this one goes. A very short one. And we've been talking a lot about um, working moms and things like that. So this is the one for all of your female listeners out there. And it's called Against All Odds. And this was definitely inspired a little bit by the Banksy story of, you know, um, graffiti along the West Bank. All she desired was to be allowed to learn, for girls to be granted an education. Instead, they marched her to the stake to burn. Sentenced to death by brutal assassination for speaking out for basic human rights. Shot in the head by the Taliban. Terrorists thought they could silence her plea, put a stop to the freedom of speech. Cut the head off ambition. Instead, they fed the belly of hope. An insurgence of women brimming with courage, not afraid of fighting extremists with pen and pencil. A miracle survivor, against all odds. Winner of the Nobel Peace Prize. She is Malala. I knew that's who it was. Oh, there you go. Good. Yeah, she again. is very inspirational, yes. isn't she? Inspirational women, yes, who... Yeah, if you talk about people who will speak up and not worry about the consequences of saying, um, you know, of speaking out for others and finding a voice for others. Yeah, she's a good one. In a very short few sentences, what's next for you? Okay, so what's next? I don't know. I have lots of different balls in the air with uh, with the writing. So I have been writing a couple of novels. One of them has been picked up by a literary agent. It's called The Pinstripe Prisoner, and it's written about my time in South Africa. Um, It's not a memoir, it is fiction, but it was inspired by some of the contrasts of South Africa with the politics and with the crime situation there. And it's about a prisoner locked up in South Africa who then flees and finds himself traumatised, very much on the mental health topic um, in men. Um, So I'm hoping that lands a home. Um, I also was awarded a scholarship from uh, a writing scholarship for emerging writers by the WA government through the Department of Culture and uh, also funded by Lottery West. And I spent two weeks on a writing retreat. So I saw the photos. It was beautiful. It was in the Perth Hills. It was just so wonderfully enriching. Do you mm. need me to come and massage <laughs> your shoulders while you're there next time? That's it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it would be good to pop you in the suitcase if you're going to do that. <laughs> Yeah, but it was lovely. I spent two whole weeks totally self-indulgent, writing every day and having nothing else to worry about. And I ended up coming out with almost a whole other uh, book of, of poems out of that um, out of that uh, retreat. So again, I'm, pol- I'm polishing them. I'm on the editing process with I even edit poems. I have a I have a, a little saying as well for anyone who is writing or trying to get a book published. And it's some advice my uh, literary agent gave me, which is never send anything out unless you've edited it top to bottom at least six times. So I'm going through this poetry collection three, four, five, six times before I will send it to anyone to have a look at. So maybe that finds a home. Um, I've got the I've got the film work going on with my son, so visualising some of the poems, trying to get better on the open mic. We'll we'll see where that goes, but. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I like to have lots of different little projects and whatever lands, lands, whatever doesn't can stay on my laptop and 
I will just enjoy it for myself. Kelly, I am absolutely thrilled that you joined me today. I have loved talking to you. Would you like to say goodbye to the listeners? I will say goodbye to the listeners, but I'm becoming very comfortable in my little seat here. It's such a beautiful studio. It's got such good kind of a feng shui, homely feeling. I could sit and chat all day, day with you, especially since you brought me coffee as well. I mean, how wonderful is that? I could chat to you all day too. (laughs) And I look, honestly, this is my happy place. And speaking to people like yourself just inspires me to keep going with what I'm doing because uncovering stories about what people are doing is just gold. That's it, yeah. And hopefully your listeners find uh, find their passion point and we've inspired somebody listening today. That would be that would be wonderful. So goodbye for today. This is Karen Sander aging fearlessly. Have a great week. So this is it for today's program. It's time to say cheerio to the wonderful Northern Beaches community. Join me next week for another episode of Aging Fearlessly. And now for a song written by Nick Howard, especially for the listeners. This is Karen Sander. Have a fantastic week. And remember, ageing is inevitable and growing old is a choice. The sun is shining bright outside. There's a sparkle in your eye. It's not all nine to five. It's a wonderful life Let's go and climb mountains high Swim across oceans wide Live out our dreams Just you and me Let your heart be alive There's no time to waste Gotta go get the most This treasure that you've got to find Baby, don't be shy Let's go and take that ride Taste the sweet and the spice Everything nice Let your heart be alive Baby, just let your heart come alive Honey, let your heart be alive